0: are listening to RMC podcast. My name is Jan høst I'm the event coordinator at RMC, Rhythmic Music Conservatory here in Copenhagen. And I'm also occasionally the host of this podcast, which in this episode features a conversation with associate professor at RMC, composer Niels Lyne Lykkegaard, a conversation about Curatorium, the festival that never takes place. What that actually means, we'll get to that because the festival did take place in December 2020, and part of the event was a number of students from RMC, and in this podcast episode you'll be hearing works by Anna Veum, Astrid Emilie and Ginte Preseit, and I'm pretty sure that I got that pronunciation all wrong, and I apologize. Nils Lyne Lykkegaard, however I can pronounce his name, have for a number of years been occupied with imaginary sound, and from 2017 till 2020 he carried out an artistic research project here at RMC financed by the Ministry of Culture with the simple and yet very telling title, Music for the Inner Ear. Questions he was centering his research project around? Can written stories about sound manifest themselves as imaginary pieces of music inside the listener's mind? A kind of music in which the listener also becomes the composer? And can the story about a piece of art become the piece of art? These questions are also the common thread in this podcast episode. The next half an hour or so, I'll try to have Nils elaborate on all the ideas that springs from the concept of imaginary sound. Maybe we can start by you introducing yourself.
1: My name is Nils Lyne Lykkegaard, I'm a composer and uh, artist and I uh, teach at the Rhythmic Music Conservatory, RMC, where I'm a associate professor in uh, composition and uh, I'm the leader of the Institute of Imaginary Sound.
0: Can you explain to us what Imaginary Sound is, or the Institute of Imaginary Sound?
1: Yes, uh, the Institute of Imaginary Sound is a, is a sub-department of the RMC, a virtual sub-department mostly, where we are interested in uh, generating uh, possible futures, if we are interested in uh, utopia. How can we be better at conceptualizing possibilities for new
0: conditions? So it's uh, an institute of imaginary sound, but it's also an imaginary institute in some way.
1: Uh, to be honest, I think it, it exists. We just don't have any physical <laughs> spaces but we but there's a group of students affiliated with the institute and as you say we are interested in in imaginary sound like the sound we listen within uh, our imagination or which is which we create ourselves but also in a broader sense we are interested in all kinds of imaginary possible worlds <music>
0: We're here to talk about Curatorium. I've heard it mentioned as a festival that never takes place or a non-event. Can you explain in very few words what is Curatorium?
1: The Curatorium is a curatorial non-event, which means it's a story about a festival which takes place and which does not take place at the same time. The culmination of the Curatorium is when a poster is hung up here in Copenhagen with the lineup of, uh, of different artists participating in the curatorium and then you can go to the curatorium Facebook site and read about these potential pieces of music and art that has been created by these uh, artists. So there's a poster
0: out in the city now. What does it look like?
1: It's a white uh, it's like A2 paper white and then there's uh, in the lower left corner the names of the participating artists are written in green and there's uh, eight or seven participating artists this year.
2: Drops Scientists have now figured out how to record amplify and transmit the sound from inside drops of water. Just like images get turned upside down and flipped from left to right when you look at a drop, so does the sound. With headphones on, you can move close to the drops that hang still. Listen to the sound of your surroundings and your own breath and voice turn completely upside down. And when the drop is pulled downwards by gravity, in one long falling movement, you hear the drops as they mirror the surrounding sound, still upside down, on their way to the ground. And when they hit, they're shattered in all directions and the sound follows along, moving to all sides. until it disappears completely seeping down to the groundwater or evaporating from the surface of the earth
0: Who have you invited to uh, take part in this year's edition?
1: It has been a total open call and there has been no curatorial selection whatsoever. So all students at the RMC uh, have been invited to submit a piece and everybody who have uh, submitted a piece has uh, entered the festival.
0: Okay, maybe let's dive into the whole idea of uh, the curatorium. When did it start and, and what thoughts went prior to initiating this project?
1: Originally, before this year, I myself hosted the curatorium uh, for the first time in 2016 and then I made it into a biannual event. No, it's not that, that's not the right word. It took place also again in 2017. So two years in a row it took place. And at that time I was uh, also conducting uh, an artistic research project called Music for the Inner Ear and, uh, and I was very much interested in how stories about art could, uh, manifest themselves as being art without any physical manifestation of an art piece uh, and also at that time I was very interested in how when a program for a certain festival was launched on the social media for instance there would be a, a hype or a buzz surrounding these programs but the physical acts as such did not receive the same love and care and attention and then I thought okay perhaps the the art or the definition of of what an art piece could be, somehow was floating in this uh, narrative metasphere, this curatorial metasphere. And then I thought, okay, then uh, I can make a festival with a beautiful lineup and uh, and, uh, these imaginary pieces. And that festival never really have to take place in a physical world. It just remains as a potential festival. And also as a way of uh, partly investigating this curatorial layer, but also inviting artists to unleash like their total utopic, uh, what can you say, invite artists to create something that is not possible in the
0: physical world. Yes, because the invited artists are not mm. just names on your poster, they mm. also contribute with... Uh, a sound work in form of a written text, is that correctly understood?
1: It's a description of a piece written in prose often, uh, but of also other f- shapes and forms are being a- accepted. Uh, but is this like these kind of really concrete descriptions of pieces that you can imagine, or you can clearly envision them for yourself, and you can say, why do this? And, and I think... There's two reasons for me why this is interesting. The first one is the least exciting, I think. It is if you really dare to to articulate something into a utopic space, then sometimes this idea you've conceived, sometimes it, it, it recuses back in, into reality. And as an idea, you can actually manifest in reality, in a physical reality, like kind of an idea generator, you know? Because sometimes I... I've been surprised sometimes when I ask people also to imagine music or sound pieces that often the music that is imagined is clearly feasible it's like very uh, well-known music but actually when we imagine stuff we can imagine whatever uh, so so it's a training into going into this utopic space
0: so there's a pedagogical uh, dimension to y- it
1: yes yes it's totally also a, a way of composing music or generating ideas like daring to enter utopia and and by say daring i mean and that is the other reason why i think this is exciting and the most exciting reason is that daring to go into utopia because it's it's not something we are not really brought up with this having a value in itself We are always used to talking about potential, but with the expectation that the the potential only gets its value when it's actualized in in a physical reality. And then I I thought about this thing. We live in this time where all these crazy things take place all the time. We're in the middle of the pandemic and climate crisis and all kinds of really bad shit is going on. And uh, sometimes you hear this saying when crazy things happen that it's so wild that the reality exceeds the fantasy, you know? And that should be the exception of the norm, but I think, in fact, it's almost vice versa. It is the normal that reality exceeds fantasy. And in a way, our fantasy, I feel, has crumbled a little bit because we are not brought up to conceiving ideas that doesn't fit into this system we are living in. But right now, if we are if we were to escape these systems we are on these and these problems we are in we really have to revitalize our fantasy we really have to revitalize our capacity to imagine possible solutions and possible realities and futures that are not currently there that is my main interest in the curatorium as an, a generator to actually allow yourself to revitalize your fantasy
3: The sound of the sound, a site specific to Ed for A and me. Extracts from the free dictionary.com. Sound, meaning 1. Transmitted vibration of any frequency, 2. To make known, celebrate, 3. A long passage of water connecting two larger bodies, such as a sea, with the ocean. 4. To count cadence when marching in military formation. 5. Free from disease or injury, showing common sense and good judgment, being level-headed. It is A's ninth birthday. We are standing on each side of Svinbo's Sound, Sun. A on the Torsinga side, in one of his uniforms, blue, eighteen hundred military hat, with a small black shade, and the cape. Me on the Fyn side in my yellow sweater, the one I knit at the hospital. If there is an audience, it is S, and she is standing on the Toesinger Bridge. She might be smoking a cigarette if she wants to. The waves are constant and subtle, airy, salty water and pebbles We don't have to do anything to make the waves come. They just come to us on either shore, quiet, crispy rhythm. I open my mouth, my voice is blue. It travels on the wind twirls, soft, pale, sound of blue. My voice is dark blue, almost violet. It travels from the dendrites of my vagus nerve, through the air and out in the sound, reflected by the water's surface, by trees along the shore. It echoes from Ihalmø and Skarö.
0: Do all the invited artists buy into the idea that you have to, uh, like, present a work that is unrealizable, that is utopian, or do many people just transcribe uh,
1: It's uh, different from artist to artist, and I think that is okay. It's not like we have to make these crazy pieces. We have to start just by training also as listeners to go into this, uh, f- these fantastic domains. And sometimes it can be also... The more well-known uh, an imaginary piece is, the easier perhaps it is to evoke something within a listener. So also th- I think all the pieces has value also in terms of communicating to an audience because it's not only the uh, fantasy of the artist that should be strengthened, it's also the, the general fantasy of the population, so to speak.
0: You talk about the audience becomes the creator. Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Yes, I, I mean, when, when you as an audience uh, or would read these pieces, then the reader would also be the listener in evoking this inner soundscape and thereby performing your own piece for yourself, so you also be a co-creator, or co- co- you create your own music, so to speak. And it's also <clears throat> something to do with an interest I have in, in these questions, like who is allowed to perform music, who is al- allowed to create music, and we have often these stories that it's, a, it's only geniuses. If you believe in this, in the idea of the genius, I really don't think... I do, but you know Beethoven, he would be deaf, but he could still like write and imagine this music. And, and it was something that was only possible because he was a genius. And I think that is wrong. I think everybody is capable of imagining both music and sound and, and other kinds of uh, fantasy worlds. But it's just something that we forget, and uh, especially when we grow up. It's a way of also saying, yeah, we have confidence in you as a listener or as a, a audience in your own capacity to create, and therefore you should imagine this piece yourself and become a composer
0: yourself. In some ways, that is a definition of the performative, that the audience takes an equal part in mm. realizing the actual piece of art.
1: Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I don't know if it, that's a question, but I, I totally agree with that statement.
0: That it doesn't really exist without it being performed by the audience, also.
1: No, then it doesn't. Uh, I think it's 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 in the relationship that it unfolds itself.
0: Do you think it has been difficult for the participating artists to come up with these uh, text descriptions of sound art? Or, I mean, that it's so totally free of boundaries. Is that mm. difficult or easy or fun? Or?
1: It's not always difficult, but I think sometimes there's also this preconception about using your imagination or imagining stuff is something that is effortless. But I think you should really put an effort in it. Like, in general, I think it's something that requires more energy than you would think and also in a on a broader scale if if i were to go into this how can we imagine futures like let's say we want to have a plasticless society how can we have that and then i think the answer is simple yeah we should start by imagining a plasticless society we should use our imagination and and you can feel like i can that that task is really hard let's okay let's close our eyes and imagine a plasticless society and i can already feel now that is that is really 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 difficult i mean
0: i'm closing my eyes right now and yeah. just surrounding me and even on my body right now is several pieces of plastic yeah exactly this very small room that we're in has i wouldn't say it's full of plastic but there are a lot of plastic. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. there really is a lot of plastic. The microphones, the headphones, the yeah, cable. But the, if we,
1: yeah. we, if we really said, to say, okay, now we have to imagine a plasticless society. Like the answer is also really banal. Then we would be capable of imagining a plasticless society, and we would have the solution. But we stop because we are the effort, the idea of going into the utopia and and really go full on into this state of imagining this hasn't got that much value in our society. But still, that is where many of the solutions really
0: lie, I think. So when you ask, for example, a student Mm. to imagine a piece of music and they would maybe want to write for 20 violins, Mm. then they're able to describe this piece of work. Mm. But in actual real life, it would take a lot of effort to... uh, motivate 20 violinists to mm. come and perform your piece. Maybe mm. you don't even have anything to pay them and whatever. So mm. there's a there are those boundaries you can get rid of.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's super, you could say like imaginary music and imaginary sound, it's super sustainable. And also now you mentioned like the 20 violin thing and, and actually I have like this um, uh, memory from 2018. I was commissioned to write a piece for the Nordic Saxophone Festival in Aarhus where I wrote a piece for 30 saxophones. And uh, then I had the score with the, with the 30 saxophones and I handed in the score and then there was a two-week period until it was performed. And the score had kind of this kind of uh, electricity to it because it was there and it, and it, it uh, was so generous in offering numerous different outcomes, like uh, realities universes that would coexist. It could go like this, it could sound like this, it could sound like this. All these possible potential sound pieces were there for me. Of course, I had an idea of how it would sound, but all these uh, imaginary uh, realities are possible, or uh, potential realities would coexist. And then I went to Aarhus and I heard the performance and it was a nice performance and it sounded really nice. And I had the, f- I had the answer, this was how it sounded. And then all these potential other outcomes would collapse of course, implode and become one, I would have the answer and then this emptiness uh, I felt this emptiness afterwards and I think we know that feeling, we have something we look forward to and then we have it and then the emptiness comes and then also this going into the, let's say this 20 violin piece If instead of like knocking yourself in the head and say like, oh it's, it's, it's such a pity that I cannot find 20 violin players playing this then just embrace that it will never be played, but we can read this description of the piece and we can all imagine how great it would be, but we'll never have the answer, and that is okay.
0: How do students generally respond to your ideas of imaginary music? I mean, most of the students at RMC, our institution, probably enters the conservatory to play and compose music.
1: I think sometimes there's a bit of a lol feeling to it, but also after a while it becomes clear for many, I think that it's also just as you would sit by a piano and write music. Then starting by imagining a piece of music is just as fine a method. It's just also a method of, of uh, conceptualizing stuff. And I think then also some students, they found out, actually, if I start by imagining something, then I'm also free to rewrite my own artistic narrative in many ways. If I sit down with this piano... Then there's this risk that I enter a feedback loop with myself, you know. I'm just like doing the same and the same and the same and the same. And when I start in my brain, then at least the music starts another place. When I start by imagining stuff, it's, then I I enter myself in another way. And then I think some students, they found out that it's actually kind of a fruitful way also to conceive music. And also a kind of constructive way of renegotiating yourself as an artist and your own artistic narrative
0: that's something that you have worked with before i mean in relation to the festival curatorium you suggest that the narrative about the, the festival, maybe even about art, mm. is equally important to the actual festival or piece of art mm. performance. Mm. And that sounds, in some ways, sounds super cynical. Mm. But it's uh, b- uh, related back to what you said before. It's also a way of reframing narratives, mm. also for the individual artist. Exactly. Can you explain a little bit about how have you worked with that and why is that interesting?
1: I, I think you're right. It, it contains. It's a double sided sword. Of course, it's. It, you could also argue that it's a. It's a not a critique but it's an, an, an analysis of how we approach art in this time and then on the other hand uh, in in terms of rewriting own narrative I think a good example would be like let's say I have a student and and this student says uh, I asked this person to write a piece for for string quartet and, and then uh, she would say uh, I've never written a piece of string quartet and then like same. but let's start by imagining, you could start by writing down this story about how this violin would start by playing this pizzicato movement and then the branch would come in with a descending movement or whatever. And suddenly, after some time, a string quartet is written in, in text. In terms of rewriting your own narrative, then this person that would have this preconception of oneself, I cannot write this for a string quartet. I, I don't have the tools. I don't know how the tuning is, and so on, so and so on. Then suddenly, this student's own narrative would be rewritten, and, and suddenly, this person would be also capable of also writing a string quartet.
0: But the most cynical part of it, I mean, does in these times that we live in, is it mm. typical that you feel that the narrative of a festival or a piece of art is equally important?
1: Yeah, I feel that. And, and, it's, 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 and, and, I, and I don't necessarily think that it's good or bad, actually. But I think it's a fact. <laughs> I think a lot of great art for me at least has this capacity of I see something I see an object or read something or, or I imagine something but there's and then also if there's a text that unlocks this piece for me and points to different kind of discursive uh, elements in society and so on it's it's super nice for me also that, like so it's not like that the, p- the piece of art is this old fashioned physical object and then the text text of the story is completely detached I think it's they are intertwined, of course. They are, yeah. And then I think there's a lot of storytelling going on, <laughs> also in terms of uh, festivals, in terms of uh, like the narratives. We are just living in extremely like yeah, curatorial times, you could almost say, where stories and their capacity of creating reality is uh, really what is it called that that uh, mode or that condition is just is just everywhere. It's, you cannot escape that situation, but you can try to look at it.
4: Hyperbole. Part one. The speaker, that is the size of a truck, would be placed in an open area. The area is situated in the big square in the center of the city. Five performers would record surroundings around the speaker. People chattering, industrial sounds, birds in the sky, cries and laughs, all the chaotic randomness and all the stillness. In real time, the speaker would broadcast all the information it gets, loudly and clearly. Second part. Hyperbolistic disinformation. 30 minutes after the part number one is done, the second part takes action. Slowly, one performer using a computer source would start to send synthetically made sounds which sound like real ones to the speaker. Now, the game would start with slight manipulations of surrounding sounds. Micro glitches, micro detunes, micro retrogates start to appear. After 30 minutes more, the speaker would broadcast something which is far away from reality and when all the sounds become manipulated, performance ends. All duration is approximately one hour and can be repeated many
1: times.
0: Curatorial times, mm. is that something that you come up with?
1: Yes, I think so. I don't know if it makes sense.
0: <laughs> Curatorial times, what does it then? What does it actually mean? I think it, it means that and
1: perhaps it's a condition that the storytelling, one's own n- narratives, especially as an artist, but actually for everybody, because we are navigating so much in these... Uh, spheres of uh, stories also on social media we all the time frame ourselves with these stories and these markers we put out and then in that way we curate ourselves all the time that's why I think I call it curatorial times because on even on an individual level the ability to curate yourself this ability is really something that is a power tool in these times I think.
0: And Curatorium takes place, I mean, it's a poster out in the city, but then it's on Facebook. Yes. Why did you choose Facebook?
1: (laughs) I chose Facebook in the beginning because that was the only social media place I knew. But it was also the place where I began, where I detected this uh, love for the programming and for the curated programs of festival and the buzz of the story That was on Facebook, it took place, and that was also a part of the inspiration in terms of describing these pieces. In the beginning, I was myself very interested in describing sound pieces in a very, you could say, almost social media language, like this kind of, I'm cooking spaghetti, kind of like the the sound of the trumpet is playing a G sharp, like this very kind of not uh, just describing what, what you're doing, inspired by this language also on social media. So that is why it started on Facebook. I had actually this idea at once that it could be fun also making like these Twitter pieces where, the, where there's this frame of how many signs is it on Twitter.
0: I can't remember, but not many.
1: Yeah, then you would be offered this framework of, of Twitter. like, And that is always great with a framework, but I'm not myself on Twitter and I really don't feel like entering a new platform. So we are still at Facebook.
0: I've asked some of the participating artists or some of the students to read aloud their score or their um, contribution mm. to cur- Curatorium. Mm. Do you know what to expect of the, the the pieces? No,
1: not at all. Of course, I know some of the pieces since I've, I'm posting them on Facebook, but since the the call was completely open and there were, did not take any curatorial process take place actually then I have not really gone into the pieces before I post them. And I can already see now that uh, that is just nice, that they are different in form and in
0: approach uh, from each other, the different contributions. Do you think that Curatorium is going to happen again?
1: I don't know. I think it's funny also because when I did it in 2016 and 2017, it was really uh, weird, I think. A lot of people thought it was very weird to make a festival that never took place. It doesn't make sense. We don't capitalize from this. No, we did not capitalize from that. And uh, and now, f- then three years later, uh, Curatorium have been in a hiatus and now we have a pandemic and we see like imaginary festivals all the time. Uh, and I think that is great because then uh, like this interest in how we can like become creators ourselves and how we can get give people a feeling of, of uh, creating stuff and using their imagination in in their own homes, is just uh, uh, that is just healthy. I think in in terms of revitalizing the public fantasy, you could almost say. But it's fun because the pandemic came and suddenly you could not go out, and then there was a need of uh, of making uh, something happen anyway. So now Curatorium is is one out of many imaginary festivals. So uh, perhaps, let's see, I think if it should happen again, then uh, it would be completely
0: student-driven. Niels, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Yen. You have been listening to an episode of RMC Podcast, A Conversation, with Associate Professor at RMC Composer and Artist, Nils Lyne about the Imaginative Sound Art Festival Curatorium, and also the latest edition of the festival, which featured a bunch of works from RMC students, among which you have heard three in this episode, either the full contribution or an excerpt from the works by Anna Værum, Astrid Emilie and Ginte Preseit. I am really grateful that you took your time to record, send me and let me use your works in this podcast episode so thank you so very much. However, if you want to read and imagine all the works that make up the 2020 edition of the Curatorium Festival then I suggest that you go to facebook.com slash curatorium and here you can also find the past year's editions of the festival. Editor and host of this podcast that's me, Jan strikker. Jingle and sound design is made by Norwegian composer and former RMC student Therese Aune. A shout out to her as well. And if you are not already subscribing to RMC podcast, then I suggest that you do. You can find us all the places that you normally get your podcasts, so that you automatically get notifications when there's a new episode out. If you are particularly interested in this conservatory, Let's say you are a student here, or maybe a future student, then I recommend that you check out the podcast Danish and Confused, which is produced by music creation master student at RMC, Mareke Maas. It features reflections on being new in Copenhagen, on Danish-Scandinavian music, and it has a bunch of interviews with RMC students. Danish and Confused. Nothing left to say here, but thank you for listening.